Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 544 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? Well, one thing that I have been doing is some forward diary planning. And in case you didn't know, the conference for the Romance Writers of Australia is coming up in August and it will be held in Sydney. So it got me thinking, what are the key romance terms that you need to know? I mean, every industry or niche has its jargon and, I mean, the writing industry as a whole has its own set of terminology and jargon and so on. But in romance writing, it's even more so. Pamela Freeman, who is our Director of Creative Writing at the Australian Writers' Centre, says that there's some essential terms that you need to know if you're writing in this genre. She says that first of all, you have the MCs, that's for main characters, and of course that's the same across all genres, but for a romance, your main characters have to either have a HEA or an HFN. Now, HEA means happy ever after. This is where the MCs end up in a committed emotional relationship, often marriage or moving in together. HFN stands for happy for now, where the people in the relationship aren't intending to marry and settle down with each other, but they have admitted their love and are happy together. To learn more about the other essential romance terms and tropes, which is so important, take a look at Pamela's course dedicated to all things love. Romance writing is what it's called. Check it out at writercenter.com.au slash romance. Now let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of Broken Bay by Margaret Hickey to give away. Sometimes the most beautiful places can be home to the darkest secrets. A dead cave diver, family rivalry, small town secrets and beautiful Australian landscapes. This week's giveaway has it all. As I said, three copies of Broken Bay by Margaret Hickey. All for you. Here's the blurb. Old loyalties and decades-long feuds rise to the surface in this stunning crime novel, set in a spectacular Australian landscape known for its jagged cliffs and hidden caves. Detective Sergeant Mark Arity has taken a few days' holiday in Broken Bay at precisely the wrong time. The small fishing town on South Australia's limestone coast is now the scene of a terrible tragedy. Renowned cave diver Maya Rennick has drowned while exploring a sinkhole on the land of wealthy farmer Frank Doyle. As the press descends, Mark's boss orders him to stay put and assist the police operation. But when they retrieve Maya's body, a whole new mystery is opened up around the disappearance of a young local woman 20 years before. Suddenly, Mark is diving deep into the town's history, and in particular, the simmering rivalry between its two most prominent families, the Doyles and the Sinclairs. Then a murder takes place at the Sinclairs' old home, and Mark is left wondering which is more dangerous, Broken Bay's hidden subterranean world or the secretive town above it. Ooh, okay. Well, if you want your chance to win one of three copies of Broken Bay, then go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 19th of June. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. 
And if you're at that URL in the future, because you're listening to this as a back catalogue experience or something, don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because we're about to discuss it. The word of the week this week is spondy. That's S-P-O-N-D-E-E. Spondy. (laughs) If you studied Shakespeare or poetry, you may know this one. So in poetry, two or more syllables together are called a foot. A foot is a way of measuring metre in a poem. And a spondy is when the foot is made of two long syllables or two heavy beats. So normally in poetry, you'll have a mix of stressed and unstressed syllables, and you might throw in a spondy here and there to create emphasis or drama. So, for example, a word like highway has a stress on the first syllable, but the way kind of gets swallowed up at the end. Compare that to high rise, where both high and rise are long. So high rise would be a spondy. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I'm talking to Stephanie Bishop. Stephanie is a novelist whose latest book is The Anniversary. She's also the award-winning author of the novels The Singing, The Other Side of the World and Man Out of Time. She has won awards including the Readings Prize for New Australian Writing, the Literary Fiction Book of the Year Award. She was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards and the Christina Stead Prize for Fiction and longlisted for the Stella Prize. And she was named one of the Sydney Morning Herald's Best Young Novelists of the Year. Thanks so much for joining us today, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. Oh, my God. The anniversary is one of the books of 2023. I was only, you know, halfway through it. I'm or, I was already texting my friends saying, you have to get this book. Congratulations for a start. Thanks. For those who haven't yet got a copy, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. Okay, so it's a story that is told by the character of J.B. Blackwood. She is a novelist. She's on the cusp of winning a significant literary prize. We don't know what that prize is. And quite importantly, she hasn't told her husband. She's married to a much older man, Patrick, who is uh, quite a a lauded film director. And he was once her professor when she was uh, a young student. Things have been a little rocky in their marriage lately and to kind of make amends and get things back on track, she organises for them to go away on a cruise to celebrate their anniversary. En route, uh, there is a terrible storm and Patrick falls overboard. 
I should say that this this cruise is the aim of the cruise is that ideally she will end up at the awards ceremony for the prize and this will be you know revealed to Patrick. He dies in this storm and the novel unfolds against the backdrop of the investigation into his death. Uh, and along the way, we learn about the truth of their marriage and the way in which uh, JB's art is implicated uh, in his death. All right. So how in the world did you come up with this premise and the themes that you decided that you wanted to explore in this story? Um, yeah, kind of by accident. I mean, there were certain themes that were I was I was thinking a lot about broadly in the culture that I felt really invested in as a, a reader, a critic, a writer, a human, a woman, a mother. There were questions around gender that I was feeling very quite passionate about, very angry about, and I didn't have any idea how I would incorporate some of those ideas into the novel that I was thinking about. Um, JB as a character kind of emerged from my anger at the way in which women's art was being positioned broadly in the culture. I wanted, I knew that I suppose the beginning of the book was her as a narrator where I wanted to create a first person narrator who was a woman who could think about whatever she wanted to think about and make that important. Um, so for a long time, it was just a huge, messy, unbearable kind of novel that had no shape. Um, and I thought of it as my book of everything in which I could give JB, she could think about anything she wanted and she could tell any part of her life that she wanted. Um, and I knew at a certain point, probably about ooh, maybe six months into it, that that she was married to Patrick and that he died. And that was basically all I knew for quite a long time. And, and so the novel started to grow around that cruise ship scene where he dies. Um, but it it was a novel for me in terms of process quite unlike anything I'd done before in that it started to just accrue themes and accrue plot developments. I didn't sort of set out with an idea of all the boxes I wanted to kind of check along the way. Um, it really started with the character of JB. I'm absolutely yeah. fascinated by what you just said because it was it took six months and then the and then Patrick came into it and then the rest of the story kind of started to unfold. So I would love to unpack that first six months because you said that you wanted JB just to be able to say anything she wanted to say. What sort of things was she saying? Like were, were you just writing stuff about any literally anything that yep. she thought of? Kind of. Like I gave myself the permission to do that. Um, and I think I think the beginning of any project, and it doesn't matter, I mean, I'm starting something now and it feels equally terrifying, where there is a point where I feel like I have to give myself permission to just write whatever is there and I don't know what is there and I don't know what will come out and quite likely it will be terrible and I will throw it away. Um, but I, I had to, yes, she did talk about anything she wanted to talk about and I gave myself that permission to try and figure out what was actually really important to her to say. One of the things that was always significant for her as a character was telling the story of her life. And there is part of this book which acts as a sequel to The Other Side of the World, but it's also a standalone book. So there was a sense in which I knew there was a history and her childhood history and a kind of legacy that she was living with that she needed to explain. So there was always a kind of primary impulse for her as a character to tell her life story. 
The question was, how would she tell that life story? What would she give emphasis to? What would the structure of that life story be? When you start to think of all the different ways you can tell your life story, um, I was really interested in that. And I suppose when I think of it as, or when I was thinking of it as her book of everything or my book of everything, it was a question of how would you put the whole of your life into a book? What would your life look like if you did that? So the narrative voice is so strong and obviously it was started to develop in that first six months as you got to know JB and it is written in first person and it is obviously JB's point of view and it is, we are so inside her head. We are absolutely right there in her head to the point where um, – Everything is in the narrative. There's no dialogue except for what's in her head. And that is extraordinary and so incredibly well done. Was that a um, conscious decision at the outset or was that something you decided later and why? (laughs) Yeah, great question. Um, It was something that I played around with along along the way. So there were stages in the drafts where I used speech marks and you could see who was talking and which parts were JB reflecting on something. And at a certain point as her character developed, I realised there was a kind of core unreliability there that she wasn't necessarily telling us the whole story. And that wasn't necessarily because she had decided to withhold things, but that she herself couldn't come to terms with certain parts of her history. She couldn't yet face them. She didn't know how to speak about them. And in order to try and represent and get access to that instability in her psyche, I had to try and dismantle the boundaries a bit between what is external and performed and dramatized and, you know, in dialogue with the world and what is internal and wavering and uncertain. And there are key points where that division breaks down and you're not sure if she has thought something or if she has said something or how much she has said. And I suppose as a device that was just, that became quite central to trying to represent her, her unreliability and her attempt to articulate her own experience. Yeah. But it was... so is it something that you had to consciously remind yourself of as you were writing or did you kind of just write the story and then re revamp it not revamp it you know tweak it to suit this device it was a bit of both um it was a bit of there was a decision clearly at some point where I just took all the all the quotation marks out and once I did that I had to go in and you know make modifications so that it worked um so that I suppose in a way there were phases of editing that were attending to that kind of device and making sure that was consistent. But there were also really crucial moments when I was in the editorial process, which lasted for so long for this book, like years, where my editor very, very carefully would say, no, I think we need to break down the boundary in this paragraph. And can she have a a kind of moment of blurring or indistinction in in this sentence here or in this scene or in that chapter? So there was a kind of a, a kind of gross effort in one draft, a kind of refining and then a really, really, you know, nitpicky combing through. So it it changed and developed across the drafts, really. When you say that it, it it was a long process, can you give us just even just a rough idea of 
when you started thinking about it and then that, you know, your first six months and then after you got Patrick and the cruise, how long after that till you finished your first draft that you were happy with? Yeah, sure. So I started the book in what year are we in now? I struggle to remember. (laughs) I started the book in 2019. I really had absolutely no idea what I was doing with it except that it would be a first-person narrator, she would be a woman, and she would be trying to tell the story of her life, and that was kind of what I started with. I had um, a few different arts grants which let me travel, and I find I, I find that to be quite helpful just to be moving and outside of familiar things, and it, I still... I still I I went to Japan on an AsiaLink fellowship, which was amazing, and that was kind of where Patrick's story started. I didn't know that at the time, um, and I was in the UK for a while and and in the states. So there was about six months where I was traveling um, on my own and with my kids, and and just writing stuff. I thought it was a doomed novel. Um, I had no idea, I had no structure. Nothing was happening. It was just this woman talking, um, and. We came back, um, so that was sort of the second half of 2019. We came back just before COVID hit and the borders were closing. And uh, for most of what was 2020, I was just, well, you know, I was doing what we were all doing, but I was writing this book in the morning and then homeschooling the kids and, and that kind of thing. So I suppose 2020, so six months of writing, you know, blur, whatever was there, a year of trying to just pull something together. And Patrick was there, but it was a huge chronological narrative. It didn't have the double strands that it has in the final version. And I think it must have been about sometime towards maybe early 2021, March 2021, that I sent it to my agent. So about a year and a about almost two years of just writing a rough draft. I sent it to my agent. She said, yeah, it's great, but rough, basically about page 150, she was getting bored and, you know, it wasn't working. She's amazing, but she was right. <laughs> so what are we in 2021? I spent the rest of that year trying to pull the structure together and sent it back to her, you know, later on in that year and it was getting there. Um, end of 2021, what year? 2023. I'm trying to think now. So we started edit. I think oh, it must have been. I can't even remember when the when it got accepted. Um, it must have been 2020, 20, either late 2021 or March 2022. So no, it would have been around. Sorry, I'm blubber, blubbering. It must have been around about this time, 2021 that it got a publishing contract and then we started editing it seriously. So we edited it from March 2021 until August 2022. Wow. Okay. And it was complicated. So that was, yeah, so six months blur, one and a half years of drafting, another one and a half years of drafting, editing. So roughly a four-year period altogether, I would say. Right. Yeah. So when you had that conversation with your agent who very honestly said to you, hey, I started getting bored at around page 150, uh, did you, did this, after that, when you changed things, did the story fundamentally change or did you restructure it and change the pace and order? 
Um, the latter. So at that point, when I gave it to my agent, it was massive, really unwieldy and completely chronological. It must have been about 250,000 words. So oh my God. <laughs> is now yeah so she was quite right to say this is boring and too long um so it was really a question of just finding the parts that worked cutting huge swathes of it and trying to figure out how what was a chronological narrative could somehow be spliced and compressed and that was when I realized that JB she was always a writer and Patrick was always who he was and they were always married and the core thing still happened but she wasn't the complex character then that she is now in that she wasn't, she lived out her life in that narrative. And in the story that exists in the novel now, she's compressed that life into stories that she has already written and told and published and is now kind of, you know, um, commenting on in some way. So I put her life story inside of her work and then had her pull excerpts out of it to give a structure to the book. So the structure fundamentally changed. Um, the characters became intensified. Um, huge parts of her history got lost. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know that people who are reading this, aspiring writers who are reading this book, are likely to fall into two camps. The kind that just go oh, my God, this is so inspirational, this makes me want to write, and the kind who are just going to go, I'm never going to be this good, <laughs> you know, who, who are just going to feel inadequate. Um, and hopefully they they turn into the former. But let's talk about your motivations to write and when you first decided you wanted to be a writer. Can you take us back to that? Yeah, yeah. Um... Really in high school, I mean, I, I don't think there was ever anything else that I I really um, thought that I would have to do, as in it felt like a compulsion and, and inevitability in terms of what I felt like I, I needed to do. I didn't, I, I kind of wrote all the time in high school, uh, whether that was journals or poetry or whatever, you know, adolescent stuff you do. But it was just for me, I didn't ever really think I would, was just the thing I had to do. Um I went after after high school, I kind of made other decisions as you do that hopefully you think are more sensible about your life um, and they didn't, it wasn't the right thing. I ended up writing my first novel when I was um, at university. I did a creative writing degree at UTS in Sydney. Um, and after that came out, I mean, there was still the desire to keep writing. Things happened in my life that made that very difficult. My father died at that time, which just, you know, exploded my world for a very long time, and I, I didn't really know what I would do after that. So I went and did a PhD um, because I just I just couldn't conceive of how I would keep doing that creative thing because so much had shut down in that space of grief. I went and did a PhD, which was fantastic, absolutely loved it and was really, really excited by that academic environment, found that quite inspiring. Um, but at the same time, I knew I didn't want to do that at the cost of writing. I felt like I had to return to that somehow. Um, so I finished the PhD and at the same time, my first child was born um, and that was quite an interesting period. So I was 29 then. I'd been trying to work on my second novel, which became The Other Side of the World, um, when I was 
with her when she was a very small baby, um, realized that I couldn't both do an academic career and write and look after a child at the same time. And that's something to kind of give. Um, and I received um, an Australia Council grant at that particular moment and decided, right, okay, I have this grant. It felt um, validating in a way at a time in my life when I really needed that with a small child and not a lot of support around. And so I decided I would just write that book and be with my daughter and see what happened. Um, we ended up coming, we were living in the UK at that time. We came back to Australia Um Took ages for that book to be accepted. Eventually, Hachette picked it up quite fortuitously. But again, you know, lots of really difficult, dark periods along the way where you just have no idea if what you've written will ever see, you know, see see a publisher or see the light of day. Um, what happened then? So I, I was writing that book for a really long time to, I don't know, maybe four years to find a publisher for it. Um, I had a job. Wow. Um, yeah, I had a job in Sydney at that time. So... I was kind of working and parenting and writing and trying to find someone to publish it. Um, finding Hachette was a kind of breakthrough moment for me that changed everything in terms of the kind of support they offered, the company they were, the publisher that I had that was just an extraordinary um, blessing and still is. Um, but it was it happened out. It was com- it was it was complete luck that that meeting happened and that that worked out. Um, so that was the second novel. But again, that was. I don't know, maybe realistically at least five years in the making um, with other things going on, three to four years trying to find a publisher. It ended up coming out when I was just just before my 35th birthday. Um, yeah, so really long gaps. Um, I had a two-book deal when that with that book, so then I wrote Man Out of Time fairly quickly and I knew I had a publisher and things started to speed up a bit at that point. Mm. Um, but if I had a two book deal and not a publisher you could have been in the same you know gray zone for years trying to figure out how to make that happen um yeah and then this one it was easier again because I was still with the same publishing house I had the same support network I was working with the same people and that that make makes it you know a huge hugely different kind of ball game to not be looking for what in between books yeah so when you know you've got a novel, you you know that you've got a novel going, like after your first six months of kind of exploration really, what is your writing process or routine after that? Do you then go, okay, I know this is going to be a novel, therefore I'm going to structure my day in a certain way, aim for a certain deadline or word count? How does that work for you generally? I don't think it actually changes whether or not I have a contract or whether or not I have a publisher. It's still my writing days and my writing process looks pretty much the same. If I have a contract, it's slightly more stressful in that <laughs> I, actually, I have to do it and I, I do actually have to finish it and it could still be a complete disaster. Um, so it doesn't actually change. So it's always been much the same Um and there have always been kids around and there's always been other forms of paid work. So it's never, it has never, ever looked like now I will sit down and be a writer for the day. Um, so my normal working day, irrespective of publishing circumstances, means that I ideally um, I would, I'd get up at about five and write for um 
two or three hours, as in I might not be writing, I could just be sitting there trying to write, but I will sit there with the intention of doing something. Um, we have a deal whereby my husband gets the kids ready in the morning, so I have that time and I do the afternoon, evening thing and it's pretty much always been something like that. Um, and then uh, sometimes, I mean, at the beginning of a project, I'll often say, okay, I don't know what's there and I'm just going to write 500 words or a thousand words. And I'll just give myself a blank word count and try and meet that and not judge that and not interrogate it and just try and get some words on the page. So that's always how I will start. And as I fine tune it and start to know more about what's going on, I'd be more targeted and say, okay, I really have to work on this scene or, um, that character needs to be developed. Um, but at the beginning, often I will just start with a collection of images and it will be, okay, let's just sit down and see what's there and see where that image will, you know, take the work. Um, and Meaning a that- collection of images that you've, um, like, obtained from somewhere and use as kind of uh, inspiration or something? No, like, normally it's little things that have caught my eye when I'm out and about and that seems to just stick or... You know, I vague out a lot, and and this is a kind of common joke in my family. It's you know, I um, she's not there; she's she's off writing a book somewhere. Um, I <laughs> I will see something, and it will somehow just stick, and it will stick in the way a kind of dream image sticks, and it will just linger there, and it will feel like in some way that's the beginning of a character, or you know, those pair of muddy boots belong to you know this character, or um, that place has some life in the novel, and I don't know why, but the street sign was really strange or whatever. Often there will be random things that I've seen that stick and just feel like they have some energy or some curiosity to them. Um, Sometimes sometimes it's an event or a plot, but most of the time at at that early stage of beginning, it will just be some odd image um, that, that feels like it could be a thread. Yeah. So that image turns into a thread, turns into a story, and in your case, turned into initially 250,000 words. Now, at 250,000 words, surely you knew at that point, this is not going to be a 250,000 word novel. Like, (laughs) did you, did you kind of think, oh, maybe my agent will, Tell me which hundred thousand or whatever to cut. Yeah, I I'm not sure. I mean, it's funny because often I suppose the other thing that I will always start with, and and I've kind of forgotten that at the moment because I'm trying to start on something new and I don't yet have this thing, which is that I will start with some kind of formal rule for myself um, or formal aim. So for for the anniversary, it was that I wanted to write something that was first person. It needed to feel really fun for me to write it, but I also wanted it to feel like a big book for me. It needed to feel expansive for me um, in that I didn't want it to feel like it was um, narrow in its plot or in its location. It needed to feel like it was opening out and 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 kind of not physically big necessarily, but it needed to feel large for me in terms of theme and character and so on. So when I gave it to my agent, I kind of thought, well, maybe 250, like maybe that's okay, maybe it works. I don't, like there are books that are that big and people <laughs> publish them and, you know, lots of people think they're boring, but they still get out there. Um, I <laughs> don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. We were in lockdown um, and I did. Oh, I we did, were all crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe it's fine to do that in this circumstance. Um, but, you know, bless her, she told me the truth. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So um, <laughs> with the you, you've said that you combine your writing with your day job, with parenting, you know, life really. Do you always generally always have a story in your head? I like to. I find it really hard to begin if I don't know just two or three things. I certainly never know the whole narrative arc. And I think if I knew the whole narrative arc, I would probably feel a bit bored by it as though I was just kind of joining the dots. So I don't actually want to know everything, but I need to know enough that I want to know more. It's not that different, I think, from the experience of reading where you need something that makes you keep going, but if you don't want you don't want a plot spoiler. Um it's funny, I'm trying to start something now and I just have no idea what happens. And I I it's I find it really difficult. I have the characters and I have a vague sense of setting. I just have no idea what happens. And I don't feel like I can really begin something properly until I know just two or three things. So for the anniversary, I knew that Patrick died. Um, I knew who JB was as a person. Um, I knew something about Patrick's death. So there was two or three things that could just give it a little bit of structure. Um, yeah, but I don't know the whole story. But yeah. the precursor to that was that six months of just writing what was in JB's head. So with the novel you're about to embark on, what's the precursor? What's your method of exploration if it is um I don't know and I have a feeling I mean this is probably the the um the six months before the six months when you actually start writing <laughs> days, um, where there's there, I, I think there are things that I'm trying not to write and I think maybe I just I had this conversation with a friend of mine maybe and that maybe that's always the case and maybe for some books that's more the case than others and you have to just sort of write through things and what do you and, mean you're trying not to write I don't understand like there's a story there that I think and I have a bit of an idea and I think no that's dumb don't write that or no don't write that and I think well maybe you actually have to try that dumb story and you either get through it and you decide it's rubbish and then you move on or it actually becomes something reasonable so I think I'm at that phase where I'm battling with myself over what I should or should not write Mm. um yeah what was what was the most challenging thing about writing the anniversary and what was the most rewarding thing? The most challenging thing was definitely the structure, trying to bring it down from that really big chronological novel into something that was more layered and more nuanced at a structural level. Um, so that's to do with plot and timing as well as the way in which the different narrative threads overlap with one another. That was really exhausting as in I would sit down to do that and I would feel like I'm just going to fall asleep my brain's just shutting down um most of the time that's when you find the answer though as well it's like no no this is too much because it was hard because you found it hard yes as in it was hard to figure out how to do it it was hard to find the right words it was hard to make certain things happen in that book um yeah logically piecing it together in the way that it's pieced together to make the events unfold in the right way so that the timing works um, and the experience of that suspense works. Uh, I find plot the most exciting thing. I suppose in a way, you're quick to answer your question, the structure is the thing that I find most difficult and when it works, it's the thing that is most rewarding. Mm. Um, 
most of the time the thing that I find hardest is also the thing that I find most exciting. So I think that's really interesting because it is seamless and it doesn't seem like it was hard. So when you were interweaving things in the way that you needed to in order to make it, you know, the current version, the the, the final version, what did you do physically? Like did you have scenes and and did you have different timelines and did you move around index cards? What did you physically do to rethink the structure? Yeah, pretty much all of that. So I had like big sheets of butcher's paper stuck up all over the wall with different timelines and maps and arrows and arcs and trying to make different threads. So JB has her, um, in terms of the narrative strands, JB has her life strand going from, you know, when she met Patrick to sometime after Patrick's death. Then then there's the strand that is her kind of her own writing, the history of that. Um, There is um, the relationship between what happened before Patrick's death and what happened afterwards. There were I kind of would line them up on butcher's paper and try and draw correlations through them to see what was matching up with what. And then there were other kinds of maps which just so that there were there were maps that tried to show the layers, and then there were other butcher's paper maps that tried to show the chronology because the book does both. It works chronologically and um, well, vertically and horizontally. You might think of it goes into the depth of her life and matches that up, but it also moves forward. So trying to get that axis aligned meant that yes, there were butcher's paper maps, there were flow charts. There were um, index cards being moved around. Um, there were lists, you know, just basic one, two, three, four, five lists. Um, there were so many different documents that I just completely lost track of things. I hope um, you've taken photos of them. <laughs> I do have some. Um, yeah, and I have kept them somewhere in a box. Yeah, so they are Wow. Around. Okay. Well, the result is... The, mo- mo- the most spectacular novel. As I said, this is one of the novels of 2023. Um, so congratulations again. Can we finish with what are your top three writing tips for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where you are one day? Sure, and thank you so much. Um, I suspect these are probably similar ones to what other writers say. Um I think first of all, it's just a question of persistence. You just, it's not, um, you never know what's coming, good things or, or bad things, and, and the good things and the bad things are always changing and they last longer and they pass more quickly um, than you think. So it's just sitting down to it, I think, as often as you can and I guess that that's becoming the second one. First of all, it's just keeping on going. And I think having a couple of people that are there to support you and that will just, you know, keep your back and encourage you when things aren't working so well. Um, and that can then be your people that really celebrate things when when they do go well and to acknowledge that, even if it's that quite, quite a private thing. Um, so there's that. And then I think it's just... Doing it every day, I think, really helps, even if that's just about developing material that may or may not be useful to get into the habit of of some regular 
regular writing for me I always find it's quite important that that happens at the same time each day and that I know that that time is the time I sit down and do it or I sit down and I try and do it and I just show up basically so showing up is 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 hugely hugely important um third thing what if I had to choose what the third thing would be if I could only have three um be really kind to yourself uh yeah Um, As in it's very easy to discredit work that is actually okay and it has promise and it just you just need to keep going with it um, to not throw things away too soon and to persist with an idea for longer than you think you know you might need to and to give yourself longer to develop an idea. Um, Things don't actually happen. In my experience, years if not decades longer than you think they will. Wow. Um, Okay. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it, Stephanie. Thank you. It was really lovely talking. All right. We're almost near the end of this week's episode, but here is a fun fact for all you furious fiction fans out there. So the distinction between what is a short story and what is flash fiction is fairly blurry. There are no hard and fast rules. Flash fiction is usually under about a thousand words, I'd say, you know, around a thousand words. And for our own furious fiction challenge, we set the word limit at 500. Then there's microfiction, which is even shorter at about under 400 words. I'd say maybe even under 250 words. As I say, no hard and fast rules. However, there is one form of very short fiction that's very precise, and it is the drabble. A drabble is a piece of writing that's exactly 100 words, not more, not less, exactly 100. So that's your fun fact for the week. Now, by the way, if you don't already know what Furious Fiction is, do make sure you sign up. It's held on the first weekend of every month, and in it, writers are challenged to write a complete story in under 500 words, using the criteria that the Furious Fiction team has set for that month. It's a brilliant creative challenge and it's completely free to participate. And trust me, once you start, you won't stop. Find out more at furiousfiction.com.au. That's furiousfiction.com.au. Now we've come to the end of this week's episode, do feel free to connect with us on social media. Now, if you are not already in the podcast listener community on Facebook, please do join. It's free to join and lots of fantastic people in that community, emerging and aspiring and established authors. Plus, there are some publishers and editors lurking in there as well. So you want to get in there and make yourself known. Now, if you want to join that, that's over at Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. I'd love to have you in there. You can connect with me on social media at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to connect with me on Facebook as well. And I'm also over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.